So, recap. So last week we started out with a failed commodities trader who was a consummate liar, absolutely brilliant at conning people out of money. And where we ended up with was we have got evidence for definite of one death, which was the victim, Ernest Brendel. We've got a missing wife and a missing daughter. So let's carry on. Finding the bodies. 7th of November 1991. It had taken more than six weeks of intense police, air and ground searches before some poor woman walking her dog would find the bodies. And I've got the deepest sympathies for her. I, yeah. The Brendel family were buried in two shallow graves on the grounds of St Andrew's School, which is actually only half a mile from the victim's home. State police officials um, began the task of unearthing the bodies and they were obviously carefully preserving every scrap of evidence, including a piece of paper from the bag of lime used to speed up the victim's decomposition. Ernest was buried in one grave, his wife was in the other, but when they moved Alice's body, they found the body of little Emily underneath her. It wasn't until his murder trial that police finally revealed that both Alice and Emily were drugged with sleeping pills before their deaths. When the bodies were found, a scarf had been tightly wrapped around Alice's neck. Emily, believed, the police believed, was actually buried alive, the little girl. What, did she have dirt in her lungs or something? Well, a month later, you might have had to know. Yeah, exactly. But that's they, they 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 knew that she there was no obvious signs of mm. cause of death, and she she was still alive. I'm assuming it was dirt in the lungs. And now, although the police had a clear indication of how they died, no forensics could actually explain the the full horror of what they'd gone through. So, although Hightower was behind bars, um, the man still had some business to take care of. Of course, he did. So he was still asserting his innocence by writing anonymous letters from his prison cell. Now, I don't know how you can write an anonymous letter from a prison cell. I know, certainly in the UK, I've seen them where they're stamped, as in coming from prisoner XYZ. But maybe it was because he was on remand because he hadn't been convicted at this stage. I know there's a problem, though, with that. I'm not sure if it's different due to the time of when it happened, but every every single thing that, that goes out oh. and into the prison is checked by guards. Yeah, for exactly. Every, so I, I, so don't, I don't. I don't know how that could happen. No, I don't know how it. How it, has it might be different for the time, or because he hasn't been sentenced to anything. It's just because he's. Yeah, I. He wasn't. There is a difference, I believe, from prison to jail. Jail is more. The the holding pen. Yeah. But it might again. It might be different for the time of when this happened. But I don't know the figures because ninety percent of figures are made up on the spot of people that are actually in prison or police custody like that mm-hmm. haven't actually been sentenced yet exactly it's just people, so they don't necessarily check them or so and people that are in there might not might not have even committed the crime mm. it's just mm. they yeah. consider the i think it's something like, like 23 prisoners for every university student in america i'm not even getting into that one um so yeah that, that supposition actually is probably true this is how he actually managed to be able to get these letters done these letters he um did were, were signed links now, we're not talking the body spray here, or we're not talking the wild cat. He claimed in these letters that Lynx, or rather Lynx claimed in these letters, that the murders were retaliation for the theft of $2 million, which Ernest Brendel had stolen from the mob. This upstanding patent attorney, yeah? 
the mob is going to start going, How, we didn't do any of this. Wow. Don't, don't put our good name yep. into, distri- yep. into disrepute, whatever it's called. Yep. One of these letters reportedly contained a hit list that included the name of Hightower's wife, children and her parents, along with his landlords, I'm assuming that was from when he had his, you know, failed business, and others who had offended him. Um, the letters are believed to have been written to a hitman asking whether $55,000 was enough to cover all of the murders. I mean, that's going cheapskate, isn't it? Another letter... Well, where's he getting this fifty-five grand from? Is he, Somebody has else he... is con, probably. I was going to say, has he borrowed it from someone else? Yeah. Another letter held specific information about the daily routines of his sister-in-law and father-in-law. Others contained threats against his wife and children, reportedly made by this mysterious lynx who vowed to kill the entire family if his wife didn't reconcile with Hightower. But the authorities found something a bit more chilling. Many contained information that only the killer of Ernest, Alice and Emily would actually know. The letter which stated that Brent had stolen the mob money, um, that infuriated... Christine and you know her husband Christine his sister the letter claimed that when Brendel refused to return the cash four men went to his home searched it then strangled Alice and Emily in front of Ernest before he was killed he actually said Hightower wrote in this letter because of Brendel's greed and stupidity his family were killed and he was in the wrong Hightower was only in the wrong place at the wrong time it indicated that Hightower had stumbled upon the men as they searched Brendel's home and became an unwilling accomplice when they threatened the lives of his own wife and children. According to the writer, Hightower was ordered to contact Christine about the ransom demand and was followed wherever he went, even to the bank where he cashed Brendel's forged cheque and the hardware store where he picked up the acid and lime used to clean up afterwards. He did everything exactly like we told him to, the writer said. The authorities didn't believe a word of that. Um, and obviously these letters ended up in the FBI hands um, and they were obviously traced back to Hightower. As I said, he, he'd been arrested and he did go to trial, but that was in March 1993. And what was he on trial for? Right. Well, it was murder and a whole rake of other... There was... there was, there was, was, There's a huge... I wasn't sure if they were able to pin it on him specifically. And I know what you're saying is by the letter that was written that only the murderer could know, but I didn't know if they had done that for him yet. I wasn't sure if he was just... They were. The, I'm guessing they've taken nearly two years to get this to. Yeah. Well, no, it was, it was about eighteen months. Taken eighteen months to get this to trial because they were, as we say, getting all their ducks lined up. So the prosecutors produced the crossbow that he'd used to kill Ernest, because obviously that was in the boot, the flipping Toyota. They had the receipts for the weapon, the arrows, the acid, and the lime. They also submitted in to evidence the letters. And this Commodities Future Trading Commission's letter, which was withdrawing Ernest's complaint, you know, and all this fake mafia stuff. Hightower was also identified by a delivery man as the person who'd answered the door at the Brendel home on that particular night. And he turned him away. You know, no, it does nothing here. So he, he was actually identified as being there for definite. There was a mountain of evidence... No one expected Hightower to take the stand. Even his own lawyers advised against it. What's the saying? It's better to be thought of as, as a fool than to open to your mouth and confirm it. And that's exactly what Hightower did. His, his poor lawyers were on a hide and do nothing with this one. 
he was absolutely convinced that he could con the jury like he'd done with everything with his investors. And he began this really long, rambling tale of how four shadowy underworld figures forced him to dig the Brendel's graves, clean up the murder scene and act as an intermediary in a failed extortion attempt. His lawyer, was a, he was actually a well-known criminal attorney, he couldn't do anything and he just had to let him ramble on. And the only thing he could do was hope that the jury would actually find him, um, find him innocent by reason of insanity. <laughs> just let him ramble enough that people go, yeah, he might be fucking crazy, actually. Just let him, well, they, just, just let him do it, see what happens. The, the, I'll go into it later on, but they actually did produce the defence where he'd been assessed by a psychologist and they said he was schizophrenic. So, hence the insanity defence. Having schizophrenia doesn't make you insane. Why they'd hoped it would do... I think that they were just clutching at straws by this point. Plus, when this happened, they might have had that consensus then. We know now it doesn't, but back then they might have thought so. Yeah, uh, it's it's strange how it happened because it was one psychologist. There weren't a raft of experts on the defence's side. I'm assuming, again, there was no flipping money to pay them because nobody would want to help Christopher Hightower. His, his wife certainly wouldn't have wanted. Um, and the prosecution don't appear to have had him assessed either. Now, you would normally, if you... Th- my understanding is, as a prosecutor, if you suspect at some point in the future somebody will try and launch a defence based around something that hadn't been done in the mail... Not a defence, an appeal, that had, around something that hadn't been undertaken in the first trial you would try and preempt it so if they know that he's putting forward this defense of schizophrenia therefore insanity they would have him assessed to see what his mental state was and they didn't and a lot of people managed to get away with that on the appeal as in well look but it didn't wash with this one and i'll go into why it didn't wash on this one either hightower also hinted that ernest was blackmailing him he was apparently conducting illegal, illegal stock trades and was trying to gain an interest in his investment business through a newsletter that the two men planned to but develop. But that's basically what he did. Yeah, I know. I didn't run them over, officer. He did. Yep. And then he ran himself over. Hmm. He, he, what? Yeah. He claimed there was blackmail um, and, he, and he was just trying to do it to, so he had money to support his wife and children even though he was living at his in-laws, so he wasn't supporting anybody. This The narrative this guy is weaving is quite impressive. It's yeah. so convoluted and outlandish that people might actually believe it because no one will think someone can make this up because it's so far out there. Now, I'm going to have to give you a fair warning on this one. Does an animal die? It's an imaginary animal. Because we already mentioned a dog, but that didn't die. That was someone that found the body. Yeah, but this this is an imaginary animal. Right. But there is a death, but it's imaginary. Hightower claimed that he'd offered to help Ernest get rid of a raccoon that had been wreaking havoc in the family's yard. Trash panda. Yeah. And that's why he bought the crossbow. And that's why on the night before the killings, he was at the Brendel's home. It was raining on that Thursday night. He said that he stationed himself near the Brendel's garage as he waited for this (laughs) raccoon to appear. (laughs) I'm (coughs) I'm still picturing this guy hiding inside a dark room with a ninja ski mask on. Just hiding with a crossbow tucked up to his chest. It's it sounds like something off a, of a comedy skit, doesn't it? But you've it? got you've got that you've got vision then of, of a raccoon going with its paws yeah, up. Yeah, just, yeah. Oh my god! So it, it, when it finally did, when it finally did turn up, he killed it with a single arrow, leaving its body lying outside the garage door. 
But of course, when the investigators arrived to check, there was no dead raccoon anywhere. He, uh, he then said that after he killed the raccoon, he talked to Ernest about his pending divorce. This was, you know, yeah. The patent attorney was sympathetic and Hightower said that he had offered to let him spend some t- spend the time, spend the night at their house. And that's why he was there the next day when he met the four men responsible for the family's murder. These men, the two Chinese and two Hispanic, apparently now. I don't, why Chinese and Hispanic would they be with mob connections? It's uh, new uh, to me. It, I knew, or I know of that way, back in the day, probably prior to the, the 90s, that the Chinese mafia, they were able to get their hands on vast amounts of cocaine, but they didn't have the infrastructure to peddle it. So they would then sell it almost at cost to the, I think it, I think it might have been the Italian mob, and then they would then pay, and then they would then sell it at market cost. And then there's a there's the big issue that they basically had to funnel their funds initially through the Italian mob to sell it. So but, obviously so, he was more up on well, that. Well, no, no, then. no, probably not. He just probably I oh, know let's let's pick a random race that the that the police probably don't like. They'll get in trouble more. But yeah, I, I know that the Chinese had that connection at least back then with the Italians and stuff. But well, according to Hightower, they were chatting about business with Ernest, and they sat down to dinner with them all. So. Yeah, but then well, he sat down to dinner with the the two Hispanics and two Chinese people. Yep, okay. with Ernest and Alice and Emily. Um, he said he, then things turned a bit bad. He said he noticed the men searching through files in the family's garage and basement, apparently looking for something of value. And at this point, Ernest was apparently anxious and irritated. Now, this particular time, when it was t- time for Emily to he might be annoyed at the crossbow bolt in his chest. Well, yeah, when it was time for Emily to come back from school. Hightower said that the men had ordered him to pick up the girl and take her home, and he complied. Hightower... I'm not saying anything because it just, it's just going to make it sound like I'm agreeing with the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Hightower said, told the court that one of the men um, said that Ernest had agreed to pay the outstanding rent for Hightower's office, and the man said told him to forge Ernest's name on a $2,700 cheque, which Hightower had cashed at the bank. So... There is that. It cleaned out Ernest's savings account, which I'm quite surprised at, but... Well, I don't blame it, because he just spent 15 grand on your stupid mate that... Well, yeah. So he he would have had more than that in there. Yeah. Apparently, Hightower went and paid his outstanding rent with that money. He was was desperate to keep this brokerage that he was useless at going. But when he went back to Ernest's house, the men were still there, and they seemed were even more agitated... And they ordered him to purchase two gas cans, which he was used to use to remove the residuals still left in the garage. When he was asked what the residuals were, Hightower replied, heroin. So you might be right. Where he got this idea from. Yeah, no, so it might have been a heroin trade rather than the cocaine. It's drugs. Yeah, but, but, but there's a bit, there's a big difference between the demographic. Cocaine's a party drug. Heroin's very much not a party drug. Well, anyway, it's drugs. Um, so he, he's going off on this convoluted thing to the court and I'm sure most people sat in the court were with their mouths dropped at this point Ernest told him that according to Hightower he says Mr Brendel told me that he was receiving shipments of heroin it was being brought into the country <laughs> via wine casings bottles they thought they had an extremely good method of bringing it in and the bottles were filled dipped in this muriatic acid and then in a liquid paraffin to remove any residuals to eliminate the ability of dogs to pick up the scent 
Now, I know about coconut co coffee grounds. Now, all of this stuff is a bit... Mm. So, obviously, the, the court's packed. Ernest's family's in the court, and they were horrified. They were absolutely outraged that Hightower was now blaming the victim. But, that's, again, it's not uncommon. But Hightower was carrying on with this. He was doubling down with these stories. This is a J.R. Tolkien level of storytelling here. The amount of different webs and storylines that are coming off the back of this. He's going to involve some Mayan mythology somehow. Turns out it was a god that did it. Jesus Christ. He said that the men handcuffed him and took him to the garage, which was how he got Ernest blood all over him. Why would that get blood on him? Yeah, I don't know. They wanted to know where the money was, Hightower said, and he was crying in court. He was actually... I'm yawning, keep talking. He was... He was... Oh, I mean, people may not know, but we've we recorded the last episode now. So uh, this is like... This has been about an hour and a half of recording and I'm tired. <laughs> you need more cheese. I need cheese. You need cheese. Um. Apparently these this Chinese and Hispanic men wanted to know where the, the, the money was and Ernest wouldn't tell them. So they brought Emily out and they brought Alice out to the garage. Hightower said that the men strangled Alice with a scarf and Ernest still wouldn't give up where this money was and then they strangled Emily. Now, his this testimony... It didn't match up with what the ME had said, that Emily had been heavily sedated and quite possibly died from suffocation from being buried alive. Which I know is... what it's like being heavily sedated. Yeah. So according to Hightower, after seeing his wife and daughter murdered, it was Ernest's turn. The men used the crossbow to kill the lawyer. And following the murders... Why would they use... Through this story that he's trying to weave, why would they use the crossbow that he brought with him? Is that... In his head, is he trying to spin it that they tried to frame him? Is yes. that why he looks so guilty? Yes. Okay. Yeah. He told... Hightower said that the men told him to drive to the home of Brendel's sister, Christine. We, we met yeah. at the beginning, episode one. And relay the, the ransom demand. And he did it because he feared for the life of his own wife and children. So he was asked, why didn't he contact the police after witnessing the murders? You know, the three murders. And he said, I was being followed. So why he was then asked, why didn't the, these four men, the two Hispanic, two Chinese, why didn't they kill the only witness who could identify them? Hightower said he'd become too valuable to them. But he couldn't explain what the value was. He, said, he, he seems to then intimate that as a reward for his unfailing obedience, the man left him with this letter from Ernest withdrawing this complaint so he wouldn't lose his damn brokerage licence that was obviously the most important mm. thing to him in the entire world. The prosecution obviously get a crack at him as well. The prosecutors asked him why the men would allow him, Hightower, to mail these letters and cash cheques forged. And he said that the exoneration of me through the letter, continuing to set me up, continuing with the scheme... He was being framed to take the fall for the killings, which is exactly what you just said. He had an explanation for everything, but it just didn't wash with the jury. I wonder why. Yeah. So one, it's a shit story. <laughs> one day after the case went to the jury, they went out for deliberations, Hightower was convicted of the murders and a whole lot more. So here we go. 
He was convicted of the murder of Ernest Brendel by torture and aggravated battery, the murder of Alice Brendel, the kidnap of Emily Brendel, a child under 16, which has special circumstances, is my understanding, the murder of Emily Brendel, the breaking and entry into the Brendel garage, the entry of the Brendel dwelling with intent to commit larceny, forging and counterfeiting of a negotiable instrument with intent to defraud, which was the cheque. And just to, you know, throw another one in, unlawful burial. <laughs> On count one, so I'll go through, I'd rather than remember what all of them were, I'll just go through the counts. Hightower was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So that was Ernest murder. Count two, which is Alice, he was sentenced to life imprisonment to be served consecutively to the sentence in count one. Now that's the trigger, isn't it? Yeah, so they don't run concurrent, so it's one after the other rather than both at the same time. Yeah, In count three, he was sentenced to life imprisonment to be served consecutively to counts one and counts two. In count four, he was sentenced to life imprisonment without parole to be served consecutively to the other ones. Uh, And it just goes on and on and on. Why do they do it in such a way that it's, if you're sentenced to life without parole for various different crimes and they have to run consecutively, do they do that in case in a span of time that they manage to wiggle out of the conviction, but they so then they still have two to three other things yes. on top of them? So yes. maybe you can come up with that. It it's, it's conceivable that maybe you weren't there when Emily was killed, for example, but you still got the... The mm-hmm. crimes of Ernest and Alice. Mm-hmm. So regardless of what happens, you are going to be in prison for life. Is that why they do it? Yeah, that's exactly okay. why they do it. I, I've always wondered, because he's not going to live to be 400 years old, so why does he need to have It's to make sure that they, they are never getting out. The, as you say, this is the worry when they make them... Um, concurrent. C- concurrent. That always worries me. And if they're linked into another one, they, if they get off from work, because they do sometimes, and we're not talking about the genuine innocent people. We are talking about really bad people here. At least this guy got a appropriate sentencing for the murder, unlike the last one. Yeah. Where she got nine months. Yeah. And then lived for eight, for 16 more years. So counts nine, 10 and 11 were actually about the burial of the bodies. And he was sentenced to five years imprisonment on each count and fined $10,000 on each count. Well, he hasn't got... $10, so, well, that's irrelevant. But, of course, he appealed. Yep. 1st of August, 1995. He's he's going for it on this one. A lot of times they appeal, and the first thing they go for is ineffective counsel. And I understand exactly why they do, they do that. It's a standard tactic. He doesn't do it on this one, and I think this is because of his ego. He actually goes for nine counts on appeal. Nine. I'm going to go into his insanity defence a little bit. But the appeal is the only place that this schizophrenia is mentioned. Can't find anywhere else of it where he claimed it. And I, my guess is that they knew, the, the prosecution knew that the jury thought it was all bunkum and the expertologist actually wasn't up to scratch, which does happen. We've, we've heard of cases where they've produced somebody as an expert, they've testified in 400 cases and it turns out everything that they had, all their qualifications were forged. Yeah, and... You've got. I have that problem with um, blood spatter and bite analysis. Yeah, you can be an expert in six hours and you know nothing. Yeah, yeah. So, so I say he's gone for nine points, and I will cover them off, but only briefly because we'll be here for episode three and four. I will not survive three and four episodes. I will probably die of exhaustion. Yeah. <laughs> the judge. Point one. The judge should have allowed a bifur- bifurcated or a two-part trial, 
And the gist of his argument is that a single trial deprived him of the opportunity to present two inconsistent theories of defence to do two different triers of fact. In short, he claimed that his testimony at the crimes were committed by these four assailants, but it was inconsistent with his claim of lack of criminal responsibility due to his mental illness. It, it, it was a really, really long part. And I, I went straight into all the court records on this one and I just thought, no. It was, they didn't allow it. The, the appeal judges didn't allow it. And it was also actually kind of inferred that he had claimed his mental illness defence too late in the trial for it to have actually been accepted. Count two, he said he should have been tried separately for each case, not the, th the three of them together. Why would that make any difference? Maybe that's a dumb question. I don't know, but I don't. I don't know why that would make a difference. Being tried on three separate rather than it be part of different, one occurrence. different, different juries, different bits of um, evidence. With the three together, you can prove that the, the cases were. Linked. Yeah, but if you fire three bullets and you kill three people, you can't ask that. Oh, it's a different case because there are three different bullets that so were pulled at the same time with the same gun. Why would it make a difference? That's part. Of I just dismantled his whole case. Yeah. Well. Boom. That was a no. No, that wasn't going to happen. Number three was the refusal of the judge to sequester the jury, which is basically keep them locked up and they're not allowed to talk to anybody, not allowed to see anybody. They keep them in a hotel and they bust them to and from the court. And he seemed to have a real problem with the press. And I'll get into that again later. And he really didn't want the fact that the jury could see and read things. It, that's fair enough. But the trial judge was very, very good at making sure the jury were constantly told not to read, watch or discuss anything when they were not in the jury box. They, they, it's just yeah. not allowed. And he, the judge even had one juror removed from the jury because he admitted to actually having seen a snippet of a news programme on it. They said it hasn't affected us. Yes, I saw it. Oh, God, turned it off, shouldn't have watched it. Just said, yeah, yeah, but... So they specifically covered their backs, yep. actually, so that, so he couldn't use this defence. Yep. Yeah, which is, which is good. No, not defence, um, appeal. Yeah, and he's using that as a defence yep. as to why you should get the appeal. Yeah, no, it's not a defence to get the appeal, is it? No, he, you're not understanding what I'm saying. He's using that as an argument as to why he should this why the appeal should go through. The appeal because, should, yeah. Yeah, because all the people were fucky, so therefore it's his defence. No, it's not a defence. So we just had a discussion off air as to why it's a defence. Would you like to say, in fact, yes, it is a defence as to why, just in a legal this, term. This is why you come and listen for the arguments, because this is what we're like normally. So anyway... It's a defence. Uh, it might, might not have been in such a legal way, but if you just come and saying I didn't do it, and this is why, that's his defence as to why it didn't work. I just spat on your screen, I'm sorry. So it is his defence. Well, anyway, the, the, appe the appellant court judges didn't allow that one. They were like, no, the, the original trial judge was good. So that was out of that one. His next point four... He said that there should have been a change of venue. Um, we've come across this before, where you can't get a fair trial where there's too many people in that area that know about the case. That's true. That would yeah. make sense. And it was, it was actually came down that they couldn't legally move it. He wanted it hundreds and hundreds of miles away from is Rhode it, Island. Is it Iceland that has an incredibly small population? And Greenland, I think. Is as it well. something like? Yeah, I think it's something like three hundred thousand people. It's tiny. Yeah. Um, they have a big problem there with prisoners knowing the prison guards on a personal level, 
so that they are either especially lenient or they're too strict, and it's a very weird dynamic because. I they, think it's Greenland where they don't, they're not in prison during, they only go to prison Well, no, night. there's certain mm. things, but it's, you've got to think of this as it's almost a town rather than a country. Yeah. So they have weird relationships between mm. prison guards, the judges, etc., with the people that committed them because they might have gone to the same school, school. Yep. and just live in a road or they might live next to your sister or something. Yep. It's really yep. strange. So I can get why he was saying that it shouldn't be from the same town as this, but... To, but they, they, for it to be in a hundred miles away, that's a bit excessive, I guess. Well, it was hundreds of miles away, but yeah. And they, they actually gave really good arguments why it wouldn't have helped anything. And it, even if they'd moved it, you know, a couple of counties across, it's really, really unlikely that they would have found anybody who hadn't heard anything about it. And they actually... His... Again, his appeal his lawyers actually conceded at the appeal that the trial judge did not actually have the legal option of conducting a trial in an adjacent state. So they appealed it and then turned around and said, mm, well, yeah, all right. Yeah, you couldn't sense. have done anything about it. So the fifth point, the attendance of the defendant at the view. Now, this was where the jury would go and have a look at the scene of the crime. He didn't object. That's very common. You know, they, they stick them on a bus, take them out and say, that's the field where we found the bodies. They'll stick them on another bus and say, that's where, you know, Joe we shot Fred. Yeah. yeah. He didn't object to the jury being taken out. He wanted to go with them. They said, fine, that's not unusual again. But he'd have to be shackled. And he didn't want to be shackled by state marshals. He had wanted the court appointed security to actually, you know take him out there the court said they didn't have the legal jurisdiction and it had to be the state marshal wouldn't, wouldn't his defense lawyers know this that they can't do that i think they're just throwing they're throwing anything and everything and why would that make a difference stick. exactly it doesn't it, it doesn't matter if your handcuffs are blue or green you're exactly now this is going to sway the these are points of, of, of this appeal. I don't know how much of it is his lawyers saying, well, let's try this, or him saying, I didn't like that, go for this. Because it seems to be that they're just, like I said, they're throwing stuff at the wall and hoping to find out what sticks. Yeah. And then Hightower actually conceded that nothing had happened with the jury viewing the scene, and it hasn't been a problem. So what was all the fuss in the first place wasting court time that's all i can think of he wouldn't he he wasn't allowed to go because he wouldn't be shackled by x he wanted to be shackled by y so they still took the jury out to see them and then he admitted after he it was his appellant thing that because they wouldn't let him go and then he admitted that the jury didn't get um swayed by anything they'd seen or the fact that he wasn't there or was it was weird point six the motion to suppress evidence obtained through two searches of the defendant's business office and one search of the Slicker residence. Now, the Slicker residence was actually his in-laws. That was mm. his wife's parents' house. Now, this is a direct quote from the appeal because I got absolutely boggled when I went into this one. The first warrant to search the defendant's office was issued on September the 21st, 1991 by a judicial officer. And the affidavit contained information given to the Barrington police by an agent of the FBI, a Jack McGraw, concerning a call made by the sister of Ernest Brendel, Christine, as we talked about. The affidavit 
recounted that Christian reported to a representative of the FBI that Hightower had come to her home in a red Toyota owned by Ernest Brendel. She stated that Hightower told her he needed money to pay a ransom to a group of abductors who had kidnapped both Hightower's family and the Brendel family. The affidavit further set forth, on the basis of this information, they went to the home of the Brendel family and they checked the garage and they found it had been washed down and swept and they noticed a wet area and brooms in the garage. The police then issued a broadcast, or, you know, a bolo, to pick up and hold Christopher Hightower. The sergeant that stopped Hightower in the car found credit cards belonging to Ernest Brendel. He noticed a white powder covering the entire rear section of the vehicle and also what appeared to be copious amounts of blood in the the area of the vehicle. The affidavit further recounted that at the police station, Hightower was advised of his rights by police sergeant and this FBI agent. Thereafter, he was interviewed and made statements that he had hidden in his office in Barrington a sword-off shotgun and an automatic handgun. Hightower further stated that there was a large amount of human blood in the rear of the vehicle, obviously, which they'd known it, and he stated that he was having marital problems and he had stayed at the Brendel residence. Relying on that information, they requested a warrant to search the premises, the business premises and the car. He then asserts that the affidavit that was issued to the police was insufficient to establish probable cause and the trial judge should have suppressed the fruits of that search. And the appellant, the appellant judges, emphatically disagreed basically he had said that the search warrant shouldn't have been issued on the grounds that they were and the court said no he'd used legislation the lawyers had actually um, cited cases where there had been an anonymous criminal informant in this case there'd been no anonymous criminal informant they'd gone they'd got these search warrants based on what he had told them Mm. so why was he even trying it he tried to also say in this that the links letters were evidence that probable cause to motive didn't exist. He's saying that he, the letters that he actually forged showed that there was no cause to issue these search warrants. But he'd written them. Exactly. It made no sense. It was absolute... I no... think that appeal for insanity might have been valid. <laughs> Absolute bollocks. The, the, the appeal judges then looked at the part about searching his wife's parents' home. He said that they didn't have the right to do that. But the trial judges, and again, it was it was paragraphs long, said basically because it wasn't his house, it was his father-in-law gave the authorities the... The, the permission. To, yeah, yeah, and he had the right to do so. So that was yeah. a no. Again, that makes complete sense. Yeah. Motion seven, to suppress Hightower's statements to the police. He was Mirandized and signed the forms to confirm, yes, three times that the police had even told him when he was talking to them, you ought to stop, get a lawyer, and he didn't want to. Some people think that asking for a lawyer is an admission of guilt, don't they? Yeah. When it's not, when that's why the answer should always be no comment until you have one. Yeah. But he's trying to get this, he's trying to say that they shouldn't have accepted his statements, even though they Mirandized him. He read the Miranda statement out loud and signed it. And then he's saying, well, you shouldn't have allowed me to say anything. 
it was only at 4am when they told him that they were going to go out and look at an area. He, need to, he actually turned around and said, no, they're not there. Get me a lawyer in the morning and I'll talk then. And that was the only time he raised it that he wanted a lawyer. And it was long after these original statements were made. And they immediately stopped the interviews. And he did try this tactic at trial about they shouldn't have accepted his statements. And at trial, they didn't fall for it. And the appeal judges didn't fall for it either. They're just like, no, you, you were legally warned and you took no notice of it. The eighth one was a bit of an odd one. The video take, taping of the excavation of the bodies of the Brendel family... He had tried to stop the jury from seeing the video as it would be prejudicial, basically. The trial judge disagreed. It was very unpleasant to view the decomposition and it was that bad that it actually required the commentary of a, a police sergeant to describe the bodies as they were actually being excavated. The trial judge concluded that various aspects of the videotape were completely relevant to the state's case, including matters bearing on life without parole aspect of the crime. And he said that they weren't inflammatory which or prejudicial in any way. And he was going to allow them. And the appellant judges agreed with him. It wasn't inflammatory. It, it, it was what it was. Um, and then there was something about a motion for... A, the Point nine was the motion for a judgment of acquittal. And this was actually around the improper burial charge. So why is that? I mean, he got, he got 10 years and $10,000 on or each count, whatever it was. He actually tried to claim the Fifth Amendment on this one, which is the right to not self-incriminate. It turns out the way that they tried to appeal that truth, that appeal that bit was actually wrong. It requires that if they're going to make that motion, you know, on the Fifth, um, it has to be made no later than 21 days after the plea of not guilty being entered. And they hadn't done that. They actually only raised this at trial, not when he was charged. They have 21 days after when the, the, the plea is put in. And they try to raise it at trial, which was 18 months later. And they're like, no, not having that. Yeah. It's only a motion that could be used before the trial and not during it. So it was a, a no. It was nine counts and it was no on all of them. I have so many questions. Do you have questions? I think the difference is when... When I have a question, I just kind of blot it out when I'm thinking of it. So when you ask me now, do I do you have any questions? I've already just blurted them out. I don't I don't have any stored in the bank. Right, I've I've got questions. Yeah, you've you, got questions. Yeah, he was supposed to have come uh, magna cum laude at university. Which, is that was that with highest honours? Well, yeah, it's it, yeah, it is. I I've and obviously I knew the phrase, but I thought right. Let's get a dictionary definition of this. It's, a, it's an academic honour of distinction that is typically awarded to a student who graduates in the top 10 or 15% in their class. It's the second highest honourable mention following behind some, some, summer come low day. Don't try that again. No. <laughs> right. So he was supposed to have been top brains in his class and we know that he somehow or another managed to fudge it. He was getting C's, D's and E's and he's suddenly getting A's. Hmm. So that was that one. Now, the children, I'm really, really conflicted here. There's mention that he had two sons with his first wife. Some places say that he had two daughters with his first wife. Then they talk about his second wife and his second wife saying he was good with her son. I don't know if it was her son. I don't know if it was their son. He's also described as a father of two. So he's got two kids somewhere, but... There are, there are kids involved. Yeah, 
I, I've got no idea where that all and went and go from. Christine and his initial attempt to get that 75,000 from her right at the beginning. It, apparently he was, he was there for five hours and it's often described that she was, um, she had guests over for dinner and he was there for five hours till one o'clock in the morning. I was thinking that. I was, what happened to the guests at this party? If, if there's six, eight of you, whatever, there's people around and then someone rocks up saying the host's family being kidnapped... Do you just leave? Do you kind of go, well, that's crazy. I'm not paying it. What do you do? Exactly. I, and I'll tell you why I don't know a lot of the answer to them. The reason why we don't know... There's, there's a really, really, really good blog post. It's massive. I've got the link to that. I'll put that in the show notes. There is also the um, appeal online, which I'll put in the show notes, because I love... I prefer court papers because I know that they're accurate. Why there's not many news stories out there on this, there's no, there's very few news articles, and it's not that the VPN wasn't working, because it was. Christopher Hightower is incredibly litigious, and somehow or another, he's managed to get most of these news articles taken down. Where he's got the money to do it from, I don't know if it's the um, buy now, pay later type lawyers, I don't know how he's done it, but he's managed it. Pay no, later lawyers. Only, no win, no fee, yeah. Yeah, that only works, though, if they think you're going to win. Yeah, and exactly. So... I don't know. I don't know. All I know is... Or is he taking down a blog post that you and I would kind of put online and then they just get thrown? No, I, the, my, my, what, I, what I was able to find was when somebody else actually asked this question and they said, no, he has been managed to get most of the newspaper reports taken down from the 1990s. And also as well, the 1990s, a lot of that stuff is not digitised still. So it might be you'd be looking through microfiche and things like that rather than whatever. But apparently he's 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 not afraid to sue somebody. This guy. Um, I still don't understand why his wife was working as this part-time school church secretary or school secretary, or whatever it was, when she had this masters. Didn't she pass it? Or was there another reason why she wasn't a teacher? I didn't didn't get that one. Very really hard to do. Or she in the end got the degree, but didn't like working with kids. Didn't yeah. like to teach. A lot of people do that. Yeah, it's it's not it's not a thing. But again, I, there's so little out there. I I can't. Yeah, you can't find it, but. Yeah. What I really don't understand is why he killed them. Ernest, I got, I understood why he killed him in some ways, in the fact that the high, the fact that his letters on closing this case with the Commodities Commission people was fake. I don't see why he killed them, but I can see why he killed them. Yeah. He, if you just killed Ernest, then his, then his wife would be... Where's Ernest? Where's Ernest? Oh, yeah. who's a pro- who's someone that yeah. has a problem with Ernest? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's Hightower. Then, boom, he's found. And then if he just kills her and not the kid, the kid goes, I haven't been picked up by my parents. Where are my parents? Parents are dead. Who has a problem with the parents? Back to Hightower. That's the only way that I can see it having a thing. It's that family... If did, 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 Do you see what I mean? I, that's exactly my thought about that. That was exactly... I get it, but I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get why he killed them, because he killed them because he didn't want to have his commodity licence taken away, right? Mm-hmm. That's not the be-all and end-all. I know for him it was, because he's, mm-hmm. he's swandered... I mean, someone somewhere made an last load of money out of him because he's so bad at it. Yeah. But I don't see how that there, this trading thing you've got in your, is worth the life of three people and then subsequently your life because of it. Because of trading is something you're bad at. If you were super successful... It would make more sense because you've got to think, I'm making the killing doing this, I don't want to lose it, but he's clearly not doing it. But is this an addict? As in, he's he's an addict to trading and he can't see a way out and it just snowballs? I I didn't get that. 
Why? He's obviously been playing this for quite some time. Why Mafia? Has he watched too many Hollywood films? Why the Mafia? Why the mob? When did Sopranos come out? I've got no clue. He could have been watching too much. 1999 is when it came out, so it was post him. So I don't know. Maybe maybe the Mafia had been heavily publicised, just naturally in the news, saying oh, how bad it is, blah, blah, blah. That It, it might have been on his mind or... Because it was such a talking point. Yeah, oh, right uh, Al Qaeda did it. That's big in the press. Do you know what I mean? It could have just been an easy. Al Capone, sca- not no, Al Qaeda. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you blow something up, uh, Al Qaeda did it. Yeah. And it's, it might be the same thing. Oh, the mob. Yeah. Blame the mob. Yeah, yeah. So, the, again, going back to that mental illness defence, why wasn't that explored further? Did they realise that he'd actually reveal, be revealed? Be revealed, not to be mentally ill and actually just a pathological liar. I don't know. I think by him doing all this crazy shit, it does. I I would be surprised if he didn't get the insanity defense because everything he's doing is so nonsensical. Yeah, but it doesn't make him in- mentally ill. There's you can be insane, but if you're not mentally ill, it's, it. Hang on, there is there was something I remember reading on that. It the insanity. You can be mentally ill, but not insane. Hmm. But the insanity has to, you have, there is, I know we have the McNaughton rules and I don't know what the, the, I think the American rules are much, much stricter than ours on the insanity part of it. And it just, it just wasn't going to fly. There has to be something I think that backs up the insanity Mm. defence. It's not like, you know, uh, loss, partial loss of, you know, loss of control and all the rest of it. I I think it's something to do with the fact that his pride it was down to pride. It wouldn't allow him to take any old... His hubris. Yeah, wouldn't allow him to take any old job and survive. Going back to the Navy, say, when he, he, he joined the Navy and he got married, nothing seems to have come out about that. Nothing seems to have come out about his service record. Was he a good sailor? Did he get reprimanded? Was he kicked out? What did he do when he was in the Navy? Again, all of this has just gone away. There are some books out there. Um, obviously, didn't have time especially because of lockdown, to get hold of stuff like that. So, mugshot time. Let me show you some pictures. That's the picture of the book. That's one of the few pictures of the Brendel family. And that's him, 43, 44. That's him in court. And he always had that smirk. It's like a half smirk on his face. That is that crossbow I was talking to you about. It's a big crossbow. Yeah. Now, what I did find was a current mugshot there is a website which I'll put a link into and it's brilliant if you can find them that's what he looks like now just shave your head mate at that point wouldn't you and if you look down there looks like someone rolled a wet potato on the floor all the discharge dates last parole dates NA 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 so he's in there for well he's coming out feet first as we say so so that's the end of our two-parter on Mr. Christopher Hightower. And I barely survived. If somebody else said to me, is he mad, bad or sad? I would categorically say that the guy is bad through and through. Um, he's a sad individual as well. Sad sack of shit. And that's us done. Let's go off and get you some cheese. Sweet. All right. Thank you for listening. Why cheese? So there we are. Our first ever two-parter. Thank you very much for listening. I'm not sure if we'll do another one in the future because the entire process of having to record one is quite taxing. And as we can tell, I really struggle to stay awake, which is not a quality you look for in a podcast host. And if you want some of the behind the scenes and spicy, spicy memes, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MurderMeOnMondayPodcast and email us at MurderMeOnMondayPodcast at gmail.com. That's all from me. Much love. Peace.